Well, friends, uh, the other day I was looking in my wardrobe for a shirt and I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. It was a large black box which contained my wedding photos, uh, which were taken many, many years ago. Uh, it had a, a thick layer of dust on top because uh, it had been neglected. It was just sitting there. And uh, I, I hadn't touched or looked at these photos uh, with my wife for many, many years. And I thought to myself, one day uh, we should get out that box and uh, just go through those photos and, and share those memories. And uh, I wonder whether for many Christians, the book of Revelation can be a little bit like that. Uh, you know, it's a very neglected part of the Bible, isn't it? Uh, now, that's not without reason, I think. Uh, I don't know what words you used uh, to answer the question that Chris asked earlier. But my guess is that many of us think of Revelation as quite bizarre and uh, difficult to understand. You know, uh, as, as we've heard, there are scary beasts in the book of Revelation with ten horns and seven eyes. There are giant locusts. Um, the size of horses with human faces. There are strange numbers like 144,000 and uh, the number 666. Uh, it can get quite daunting and therefore many Christians don't read this book uh, because it, it's not a very straightforward read, is it? And I wonder whether that's how you and I feel like that as we begin our series on the book of Revelation. Now, uh, today's talk is going to be a bit of an introductory talk on Revelation, but uh, I wanted just to begin this morning by encouraging us to see that this book is actually a book that you and I can understand. Uh, God has given us this book as, as part of his word in the Bible, and our God is not a God who likes to confuse his people, but rather he is one who makes himself clear through his word and uh, my aim this morning, therefore, is to help us to see uh, some of that clarity and to understand the big picture of, of Revelation so that we can start to see that even though there are parts of this book that are difficult to understand, um, if you and I would just pull up our sleeves and be prepared to work hard over the next eight weeks or so, uh, this is a book that we can understand and greatly benefit from. Uh, well, in order to do this, I'm going to try and answer uh, two questions this morning. Uh, firstly, what kind of a book is Revelation? Uh, what kind of a book is Revelation? I think understanding this, the answer to this question, uh, will actually go a long way to uh, helping us avoid some of the pitfalls in reading Revelation and drawing wrong conclusions. But secondly, uh, what is Revelation saying to us uh, in our church uh, and the church of the 21st century. And so, uh, what kind of book is Revelation? Well, firstly, uh, this may sound a little bit obvious, but the book of Revelation is a revelation. Um, it's a revelation from God. And you can see it there in verse 1. Uh, if you have a look with me in your Bibles at verse 1, it says there, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Uh, You can see there that this is a revelation that is given by God, the Father, to Jesus Christ, so that it can be given to those who serve the Lord Jesus, uh, people like you and me. But the way it gets to us is through an angel who brings this revelation to the Apostle John, who uh, we read later in chapter 1, verse 9, is on a little island uh, in Greece called the island of Patmos. Uh, Perhaps he's in exile there for his faith. And so uh, in these opening verses, you get this chain of revelation from God the Father. Uh, The revelation is given to uh, Jesus Christ, and from Jesus Christ to an angel, and from an angel to the Apostle John, and from the Apostle John uh, to those who serve the Lord Jesus. But what is a revelation? What is a revelation? The word revelation comes from uh, a Greek word, uh, apocalypse, which simply means an unveiling. Uh, an unveiling. Uh, I've been noticing on YouTube lately that uh, there are many videos on YouTube um, where people unbox new products. Has anyone seen uh, an unboxing clip on YouTube before? Uh, a few of us have. Uh, it might be a you know uh, an iPhone or an iPad or the latest i gadget, but um, it seems that we love to watch things that, that previously are hidden but are then made known to us. Uh, that, is, that is what a revelation is. It's a revealing of something that was previously unhidden. Uh, previously hidden, sorry. But what is the thing that is revealed to us here? Well, you can see there in verse 1 that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this can mean that the revelation is actually from Jesus Christ, or, and we've already seen that that is true, isn't it? But it can also mean that the revelation itself is about Jesus Christ. In other words, what you and I are going to see in the book of Revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory and power and majesty. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who, as we begin to know him, can uh, make known to us and make sense for us all of human history. For Jesus Christ is the key to understanding uh, what history is all about. Uh, what the, 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 the present time is and where all things are heading and how you and I fit into the picture. Uh, you may have noticed in verse 1 that the revelation about Jesus shows us the things that must soon take place. Uh, now that seems to suggest that revelation is just about future events. But uh, I want to suggest that revelation, as we will uh, keep on seeing as we study this book together, is not just about uh, future events, but, but it's actually about all of human history, and in particular, the time between 
the first coming of, of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. In other words, Revelation will tell us what, these la- what the Bible describes as these last days, uh, the period in between the first and second comings of Jesus, what these days are all about and where it is all heading. Uh, friends, if you want to know uh, what the world is all about and uh, what the meaning of life is and your place and my place in this world, then Revelation is the book that will tell you. But secondly, notice that the book of Revelation is also a... uh, You can see it there in verse 3 where John says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, what is prophecy? Well, um, I think many people think of prophecy as... Um, words that predict the future. Now, is that the sort of meaning that you had in, in your mind when you hear the word prophecy? But uh, in the Bible, prophecy is not simply about predicting the future, but it's about speaking the word of God. And so uh, when the Old Testament prophets prophesied, what they were doing were they were speaking the very word of God. Now, Some of that, of course, was about predicting the future. And so, for example, uh, the the prophet Isaiah prophesies about a servant of God uh, who will come later in time, who we now know as the Lord Jesus Christ. But prophecy is not simply about predicting the future because God also spoke many things uh, through the prophets, including warnings and and challenges and, and things like that. Uh, In 1 Kings chapter 18, the great prophet Elijah uh, challenges the people of God by saying, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. You see, he was speaking the word of God and he was issuing a challenge to the people of Israel. And so the book of Revelation is the word of God. Uh, You can see it there in verse 2, which says that the Apostle John was the one who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, the revelation that John receives is the Word of God, but notice that it is a word that testifies, that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That's why, friends, uh, in verse 3, John can say that there is great blessing for those who read aloud and those who hear the book of Revelation. Uh, What God is saying is that uh, Peter Kang, who uh, read the words of Revelation to us aloud this morning, is a greatly blessed man. And uh, what God is saying is that we who have heard the words of Revelation are greatly, greatly blessed this morning. But it's saying a little bit more than that, isn't it? For those who are blessed, notice, are not simply the ones who hear these words in Revelation, but it is actually the ones who keep what is written in it. Uh, If I tell you, friends, that there is a fire in this building, 
this morning and uh, please don't panic there is no fire but just imagine for a moment that there is a real fire and I shout the word fire to you then the ones who will be blessed are the ones who run outside to safety isn't it it's the ones who take the appropriate action not simply the ones who heard the warning but the ones who respond and who appropriately act in light of the word. And so, friends, the ones who will be blessed as a result of reading Revelation are the ones who are prepared to take appropriate action as a result of hearing the sorts of things that we will be hearing over the next eight weeks. And so, uh, as we begin this new series in the book of Revelation, I think it's worthwhile asking are you and I prepared to keep these words? Uh, there is no virtue in simply hearing these words or even understanding what they say unless we are prepared to keep them in our lives. Uh, like all of God's word, like all of the Bible, simply satisfying our curiosity about books like the book of Revelation will bring no blessing. <laughs> it is actually the ones who keep God's word will be greatly blessed, says God. But finally, uh, the book of Revelation is also a letter. Uh, you can see it there in verse 4, where uh, it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Uh, the apostle John is given a revelation and a prophecy, as we have seen, but he then uh, writes it down and it is to be sent as a letter to a number of churches in Asia, which is uh, the, the, the kind of area around modern-day Turkey in the first century. But uh, if, you have a, uh, if you read the book of Revelation, um, you will know that this doesn't read like all the other letters in the New Testament, does it? Uh, you know, it's very different to the other letters like Romans or 1 Corinthians or Colossians. For Revelation is written in a completely different style, which uh, is called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. Uh, now, you, see, you do see apocalyptic literature in uh, various other parts of the Bible. Does anyone know uh, where you might see this kind of style of writing or genre of writing in the Bible? Uh, yeah, parts of Ezekiel, uh, you see apocalyptic literature. Anywhere else? Daniel, as we've just read, yep. Um, anywhere else? Bits of Isaiah. Um, there are bits of apocalyptic even in the Gospels. Uh, but uh, the thing you need to know about apocalyptic literature is that it is highly symbolic literature. And so if you want to know its meaning, uh, you need to understand what the symbol means. And I think that's where uh, a lot of people who read Revelation uh, can actually uh, go wrong in their reading. Uh, it's, it's like that even today, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I want you to imagine for a moment if you were in a lift and you noticed that there is no fourth floor. Uh, what is the meaning of that? What can that possibly mean? If, you're, if you go in a lift 
and uh, there is no fourth floor on the lift. You're, you're in Korea or you're in China <laughs> because uh, in, in Chinese symbolism, uh, the number four is a very unlucky number. Uh, I think it symbolizes death or something like that. Uh, or if you drive past a car and the number plate has 888 on it, uh, what, does that, what does that mean? What is the significance of that? Well, you, you look in the, in, in, in the driver's seat and you will see a Chinese driver uh, in, in the car because the number eight also has high significance to the Chinese. It's, it's a very lucky number. And so uh, in our passage this morning, you can see that this letter is addressed to seven churches that are in Asia. Now, um, I think I've given you a, a diagram uh, in your outlines, and you can see there the historic location of these seven churches in Asia. And uh, I have no doubt that the letter was written by John uh, and sent to these seven historic churches. But in fact, there were more than seven actual churches in uh, Asia around that time. And so the number seven has been chosen uh, specifically for its symbolism. Uh, in Jewish thought, which is the background to the New Testament, the number seven symbolizes completeness or wholeness or perfection. Uh, think about the seventh day, for example, after uh, the creation. And so the seven churches here are meant to symbolize not just these seven individual churches that were around in the first century, but the entire church, the complete church, the whole church of God in all the world and across every generation. In other words, the entire book of Revelation is a letter from God to the church, to us, and to the church of every generation. Well, uh, if you're following in the outline, uh, we're now in the second part of uh, the talk. Uh, what is Revelation saying to us today? What is Revelation saying to us today? Now, uh, in many respects, we're going to see the message of Revelation with more and more clarity, uh, I hope and pray, uh, over the next eight weeks. But in today's passage, I think we're given a bit of a clue in the greeting that John sends on God's behalf in verses 4 to 8. And uh, in particular, you can see it in his descriptions of God. Now, uh, you may know that this kind of greeting is very common in most of the New Testament letters. Uh, people like the Apostle Paul and Peter and even John himself begin some of their letters by sending grace and peace to the recipients of the letter on behalf of God. But uh, here, I want you to notice very clearly uh, how God is described. How God is described. Uh, you'll see there in verse 4 that God the Father is described as the one who is and who was and who is to come. Now, this is not simply talking about God's eternal presence. You know, he was, uh, he's always been eternally present in time past and in time uh, now and a time future. Uh, further, this is not simply speaking about God's knowledge uh, of the past and the present and the future. 
even though all of these things are no doubt true. But the thing that John is saying here is that God is the one who is sovereign and in control of all of human history from the beginning to the end. Uh, In verse 8, you'll notice that God the Father is described there as the Alpha and the Omega. And so if you've done high school maths before, you'll know that uh, that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Uh, What it's saying is that God is sovereignly in control of all that occurs in human history from its beginning to the end. Further, you'll see there that the Holy Spirit is described in verse 4 as the seven spirits who are before his throne. Uh, We mentioned before, didn't we, that the number seven represents completeness or, or wholeness. And so I don't think this is speaking about you know, seven individual spirits, but it's speaking about the, the, the entire spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. But notice where the Holy Spirit is, friends. He's described as being before the throne of God, and we will see in later chapters that this Holy Spirit is ready to be sent by both the Father and the Son to help go to the churches and strengthen the churches so that they might be a light in this dark world. And uh, finally, you can see there in verse 5 that Jesus is described as the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Now, this is talking about Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension to to rule at God's right hand. Uh, You see, Jesus was the one who faithfully witnessed to the truth about God, even uh, in the face of persecution and death on the cross. Uh, He was the firstborn of the dead, meaning not only that he was preeminent in all of creation as the one who inherits all things, as firstborns usually do, but he is also the first of many to rise from the dead. And as the first one to rise from the dead, well, he is now the risen one who is uh, seated at God's right hand and the one who rules over all kings and all powers and all authorities in this world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who rules over every power, good or evil, in this world. Now, uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but this is a very Trinitarian description of God, isn't it? Uh, The Father, uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But uh, the question I want to ask this morning is, why would John describe God in this way at the beginning of the book of Revelation? Uh, Why would the churches that he is writing to need to hear these things about God? Well, one of the things that we will see in coming weeks, and especially as we look uh, at chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, is that John writes to churches that are facing opposition from powerful forces at work in this world. Uh, We read of some of these churches beginning to face persecution uh, at the hands of the powerful uh, government of the day, uh, the Roman emperor, and the Roman Empire. We read of compromise in these churches 
as a result of Satan's powerful work. Theological compromises through false teachers, moral compromises through sexual immorality and uh, the idolatry of of, uh, worshipping riches and money, or just sheer complacency in the churches. In other words, the church would have looked very weak and powerless and pathetic. And it would have been easy to think that they were actually on the losing side of history and that God had lost control of the situation. But God reminds the church in the book of Revelation that despite circumstances and despite what they can see with their eyes, well, God is actually in control, sovereignly working out his purposes in this world. He reminds them that his spirit is the one who is ready to do God's bidding to go to the churches and strengthen the churches in their faith. And he reminds them that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who has already won the victory and who is on his throne, ruling over this world with all glory and power and majesty, ruling over all the powers that threaten his people. You know, it's a bit like me uh, taking off my glasses. You know, if I take off my glasses, uh, I can't actually see who's there. Now, you all look like blobs at the moment to me, uh, just sitting there. Uh, But if I put my glasses on, uh, suddenly I can see the reality, uh, who is really there, Uh, the the, the faces and the details uh, that are staring back at me so that I can relate rightly to what is before me. And friends, uh, the book of Revelation, I think, is a bit like that. You know, the situation of the church in the 21st century hasn't changed very much, has it, from what we read in Revelation. Uh, You see, there is persecution of Christians by powerful governments and people. There are theological and moral compromises within the church itself as Satan powerfully does his work. Uh, To the naked eye, it seems like the church is weak and pathetic And it seems like we are on the losing side. It's actually those with worldly power, we think, who will win in the end. I wonder whether you've ever felt like this before or been tempted to think like this before. But friends, what God does through the book of Revelation is he helps us to put on our spiritual glasses so that we can see the reality, God's reality, of what is actually going on. Uh, He helps us to lift our eyes from simply what we can see and feel and touch in this world to see a greater reality of what is going on behind the curtains. And what is really going on? Well, we have a God who rules history. We have a spirit who strengthens his church. And we have a Christ who has already won the victory. However, as we see reality from God's perspective in the coming weeks, uh, we will see more and more that this reality centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you can see there that this letter is dedicated to him. 
Um, I love reading these verses. Um, uh, have a read with me uh, in the second part of J uh, verse 5. Second part of verse 5, John writes, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. You see, at the heart of all reality in this world, you and I have one who loves you and has freed you to serve him and who now rules the world with all glory and power and majesty. Uh, some people think that verse 7 uh, is talking about Jesus' uh, second coming. You know, uh, This is the time when Jesus will come with the clouds uh, to judge the world and to, and to crush his enemies. But um, it seems there that Jesus is coming from heaven to earth with the clouds, doesn't it? But um, I just want you to flip back with me uh, to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, if you have, a, have your Bibles there with you, just uh, flip back with me to Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 13 to 14, which uh, I, I, John is drawing on here uh, in, in the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Uh, Daniel, in, in chapter 7, speaks of a day when all the kingdoms of the world will be judged and an everlasting kingdom is given by God to one like a son of man. And uh, it says there in verse 13, Daniel 7 verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that is God, and was presented before him. And to him was given glory and uh, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, what did you notice there? Uh, if you are a careful reader of the Bible, uh, you may have noticed that in Daniel 7, the direction in which the Son of Man, Jesus, goes is not actually from heaven to earth in judgment, but from uh, earth to heaven. Uh, he goes with the clouds to receive his kingdom from the Father. And so what John is speaking about in Revelation is not the coming of Jesus on the last day to judge. Rather, it's talking about Jesus' ascension into heaven after his death and resurrection to be given the kingdom of God. For what has happened is that Judgment Day has already started in God's plans at the, at the Ascension. Jesus has been given all power and authority and majesty as God's King to rule over all other kings and powers in this world. But the only reason why he is delaying uh, his final coming is to give time for people in this world to wail and mourn over their sins and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance. 
And so what is the book of Revelation saying to us today? Well, it's saying that now is the time for our world to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith for the forgiveness of sins. And if you and I have already done that, then now is the time for you and I to faithfully witness to Jesus, no matter what the consequences, so that people will turn to him. And so, friends, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, this book uh, of Revelation and, and studying it in the coming weeks. Uh, I must admit, as I've said to some of you, that I've been very feeling very uncertain about preaching Revelation because, um, uh, for me, it's not a book that I'm uh, totally familiar with. Um, it's, it's actually not a book that we spent a lot of time in at Bible College. But the more I read it, the more I can see what a wonderful book it is. For I'm often sad to see the weak state of the church. Um, I'm often sad to see the compromises and complacency of the church. I'm often sad to see compromises and complacency in my own life. And I'm often tempted to think, what is God doing? Um, am I actually on the winning team? Because it certainly doesn't feel like it. But what the book of Revelation tells you and me, that this word of God tells you and me, is to look upwards and to see the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated on his throne, who is ruling the world with all glory and power and majesty, and that those who are with him no matter what present circumstances may look like, we'll never lose, but be blessed in every way. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you that this book has been given to us as your church for our blessing. And we pray that over the next eight weeks as we study this book, that you would give us understanding and a willingness not only to hear these words, but to keep them, and that we will be blessed as a result. Now, Father, we can often be discouraged as we look around at the state of the church today. Uh, we see persecution from those who oppose you. We see compromise. We see complacency. We see weakness. But we thank you that in our weakness, you are strong. We thank you that you are the Alpha and Omega who controls human history from beginning to the end. We thank you that your spirit is willing and able to help us in our weakness. And we thank you that your, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, loves us and has freed us and is now on his throne, ruling over all kings and powers in this world. And so, Father... Uh, we ask that you would please help us to see this reality more and more clearly and that we might live confidently for his glory, the glory of the Lord Jesus, knowing that he is the one who is on the throne. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.